Marketing Insider, a podcast for marketers focused on finding and targeting their ideal customers at scale. I'm your host, Monique Ruiz. If you've been following along with the podcast, you'll notice we did end up taking the month of December off. I don't know how it is at your company, but the end of the year is an exceptionally busy time for us, so we figured we'd step back and regroup to plan for this new season to make sure we're bringing you episodes chock full of the information you need to be better marketers. So being that this is episode one in a brand new season, we had to come out with something really good. We're diving back into the topic of identity resolution. And maybe you're saying, wait a minute, Monique, what more can you talk about that hasn't already been said about identity resolution in previous episodes? Well, let me share a quick stat with you before I bring in my guest, and maybe that will help you understand why we're still talking about this and why we will continue to talk about this. According to a Winterberry Group forecast, U.S. marketers are expected to have spent $2.6 billion on identity resolution programs by this year. To put that into a little more context, that is a 188% cumulative increase over four years. Now, even though I've hosted a few episodes focused on identity resolution, I can admit I am by no means an expert myself, so I've invited someone who is. Al Gadbit, CTO of Claritas, is back again to speak with us about the continued evolution of identity resolution and specifically identity graphs. We'll talk a little bit about how they fit into your marketing structure, plus how their intelligence helps you optimize campaigns in flight and measure success along the way. That part's not so obvious, so I'm curious what Al has to say about that. And finally, we'll hear some updates on new and existing industry regulations and announcements regarding consumer data and privacy. Now that I've talked for probably five minutes, let me go ahead and bring in the man himself. Al, welcome back to the podcast. Monique, it's always a pleasure, and thank you for having me back and for the inaugural uh, 2022 podcast season. Yeah, we're excited, and it's always a pleasure to have you as well. So my first question is one that actually comes up quite frequently in one way, shape, or form. Since an identity graph is not a physical or tangible product that you can sell, unlike a t-shirt or even to some degree a software product, how can a provider show the value to potential clients, especially one who might be unfamiliar with the intelligence it can provide for their business and for their marketing campaigns? Uh, Great question. Thinking about things from a pitch perspective, you kind of have to step back for a second, though and say, what has given life to identity graphs? In the last, God, 10, 12 years, people have been engaging with brands uh, across a variety of different ways than they Mm -hmm. had in the past, primarily online. And when people are doing things online, uh, by and large, they're doing it anonymously in the sense that they are coming into a website, unless they transact, uh, that shopping, that product research, uh, and even to some extent, uh, the social interactions through an on-site wiki uh, might be anonymous. Uh, so how does the brand be able to capture that consumer interest or consumer intent and be able to maximize that or be able to make their conversation or the the offer they make to that given consumer more relevant uh, in a time frame that they might be in market? Well, the idea is you you have to be able to provide some type of a resolution Mm -hmm. to who that consumer is. The only way to do that pre-sale is through an identity graph. Identity graph is a uh, solution 
Uh, I think you're, you're absolutely right in that it is not a tangible product per se. Uh, you can't put your fingers on it. But again, you really can't put your fingers on consumer information either. Right. But this is a way, this is a new type of consumer information. And it's really not necessarily about consumer intent or consumer 360 view that people talk about. It's not about what the consumer is. It's more about who that consumer is physically. What are the devices that they are connecting to? And how do you know that when you are having an engagement with a particular consumer, who that person might be and, and therefore what might be interesting to them. When you look at how the industry has evolved over the last 40, 50 years, you have these massive companies who have been providing consumer insights. All these things are valuable to brands that, that they didn't previously have or providing a way in which you can compartmentalize or, or, or sort your customers. Um, but in the digital world, being able to apply that to somebody uh, is is impossible without the value of graph. So mm -hmm. the value of what graph is, it's a technique that allows you to resolve your anonymous web interactions or digital interactions in a way that is consistent with an understanding of how you've been segmenting and, and managing your customers in the past. It's a way of taking that digital signal and making it fit into how you're currently managing uh, the segmentation or compartmentalization of your existing customers. I have a similar question to that previous one, but it's from a slightly different perspective. Mm -hmm. Can you share any tips for how data partners should work together to provide identity graph solutions to the respective clients when one owns the technology and the other is reselling or leveraging that data? Yeah, it, it, it's, a, it's a great question. And, and it's, um, it's really timely because the marketplace has been wrestling with how do you do this? And you, you see the emergence of companies that are, that are called uh, uh, DMPs or data management platforms or right. CDPs, uh, uh, customer data platforms. Uh, in, in essence, they're all kind of trying to get to the same thing, creating a physical infrastructure, if you will, a sort of a database that allows you to uh, manage your customers across all the different contact points that they interact with you. The problem is that it's very difficult to do. In the marketplace, you've seen an emergence of, of um, several dozen companies who purport to be data graph providers. Mm -hmm. um, and, and in essence, there's probably seven or eight of us that really do have customer graphs. There's a bunch of resellers of consumer graphs out there. But aside from that, uh, you're now seeing these companies who were trying to take things to a different level. That is, you're seeing a deprecation of some of the, the typical linkage points like third-party cookies. They've largely gone away. Mm -hmm. um, mobile IDs. Uh, you still see a lot of them, but you don't see the same kind of density of signal that you would that gives you the capacity to uh, look at, at location the way you used to. So as some of these linkage points start uh, decreasing in their uh, if efficiency in creating graph signal, uh, you're, you're now starting to see companies springing up who are, who are saying, well, look, let's talk about building out a graph for you, an individualized graph. So brands are now thinking, I want to have my own graph. And so the question really is, is important because now you have the capacity or you have companies who are offering graph as a service, not as a, uh, as a linkage or not access to a company's graph, but essentially creating an individualized graph for each brand. 
which is something that brands really want, hasn't been accessible to them because it's expensive, it's difficult, not right. everybody really understands it. So yep. the thing is, you're going to see an environment that is going to change over the next couple of years where you're, these individual brands and, and not just the major brands, but, but even smaller brands are going to have the accessibility to their own personalized graph. Now, when you have that graph and somebody's going to provide that as a service, there's those brands have still come to, to depend upon having segmentation. They're going to want to still bring in that additional insight, that consumer insight, and have that actionable within their graph. Yeah, that's very interesting. Yeah. So we have uh, office hours here at Claritas where any of our internal staff can kind of join for and ask the expert session. And I heard mm -hmm. this uh, next question come up in a recent one, and I thought it was a great question to ask. So there is no what you would call model for identity graphs. It, it is newish technology. I don't know yeah. how long we'll keep saying new, but go with me here. Yeah. So that makes it a little bit difficult for brands to evaluate partners. And it does present yeah. a challenge for providers to know if the work they're doing to improve their solutions is actually valuable. Right. So knowing that, what are some of the top improvements that should be on your list to tackle if you are an identity graph provider? And what are some enhancement brands or other marketers should look right. for when they're actually evaluating a partner to uh, proceed with? There's two pretty high level ways to think about that. One, uh, if you're a brand, how are you engaging with your clients and mm -hmm. what signals are important to you? So in other words, are you a brand that, that runs your own podcast and you find that as a way, a valuable way in which you seem to be driving consumer engagement? Well, then you, you want somebody who's doing measurement and measurement through podcasts and has the capacity yeah. to be able to measure from a podcast. So having that capability is going to be far more important than somebody who's built an, an identity graph based on, say, for example, um, mobile IDs or, or based on uh, an email or something of that nature. Right. Uh, all of those things are important, but you need to think about how, how you're engaging with your client and what aspect of graph is important to you. Uh, and that's, as you said at the very beginning of this question, there is no uh, rule for what constitutes an identity graph. Um, and when you talk to various companies, they seem to bias towards having strength in one aspect of mm -hmm. a graph versus another. Somebody is a, is a cookie machine and they have billions and billions of cookies that they're setting on a, on a daily or weekly basis. Others might have real strength in, in reading your, your mobile ID. Others might have uh, capacity to, to resolve IPs, uh, IPs to a zip 11, IPs to a mobile ID, IPs to an email address, what have you. It, it, because there's no rule, you can, you can be good at one of these things and call yourself an identity resolution, identity graph company. Now, Claritas is, has, has a practice in all of those areas, which is a bit unique. And, and as a result, we provide the capacity, tie or create linkage across a variety of different channels that brands interact with their consumers. We uh, also provide that solution to other graph providers who are looking to expand or beef up with their current identity graphs uh, where they may be weak. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I think that, that the first aspect of that is, hey, what, you know, what am I looking for out of identity? What, are we, what am I trying to resolve? Where am I trying to find linkage? And then the second aspect of that is in, how can I say this, accuracy. You know, um, 
you have to get past the marketing spin because if you go and ask any of these guys how good their graph is, you know, they're just going to tell you it's fantastic. Yeah. Um, but it may not be. Uh, and in some cases, it absolutely will not be. Exactly. So if I were a brand, what I would say is don't just go to one provider, test two or three providers, but don't just test them against who can provide the, you know, the, the biggest tonnage of data to you. Test against some sort of truth set that you have access to, you have to have some aspect of your consumer interaction that ties to something digital in reality. You have to be able to divine out whether they're selling you garbage or whether there's real accuracy there. We spend a tremendous amount of time, money, uh, in focusing on, on the accuracy of our graph. I would say we're not necessarily the largest in terms of, of linkage scale in the mm -hmm. marketplace, but uh, I think if you're trying to find the um, the accurate or relevant connections to your consumers, it's far more important to actually be talking to the consumer you think you are versus uh, connecting to somebody who's either not your consumer or or you is actually turns out to be the wrong person. So right, always learning and improving. That's the ultimate key, right? That's right. So last time you were here, we talked about this, but it's been a fair few months since you've been on the uh, podcast. So I'm sure there's yeah. some updates that you can share. Um, I think it's safe to say that consumers, they are becoming increasingly aware of how their customer data is being used by brands, but there's still quite a bit of hesitation to actually willingly give up that data and even yeah. more confusion over how it's being used. So yep. when we last talked on the podcast about privacy, there were some new regulations that were expected to be put into law this year or implemented yeah. this year. And there were some updates to some existing regulations. Yeah. So what what does privacy look like in 2022? <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 it, it's definitely a changing marketplace. The manufacturers, browser manufacturers are changing things. Apple has come out with two new iterations to uh, the iOS uh, mm -hmm. where, where it's, it's going to be harder to see the, the mobile ID. It's going to be harder to see uh, the email address or the engagement with the email and, and soon or some aspect of it, it's, it's going to be difficult to see the IP address that people are, are connecting from. So from a manufacturing standpoint, that's changing. Uh, I, I, I kind of laugh a little bit because, you know, everybody is talking about privacy and, and I've been reading a lot lately about um, uh, interactions with or surveys that have been done asking consumers, what do they think the value of their identity is online? Most people put the value of their identity very high. In a, when I say high, I'm talking hundreds to thousands of dollars uh, on, a, on a per brand basis. That's what they feel as though would be fair compensation for giving up that, that identity. And, and certainly when you're getting into those higher dollar values, some of the identity information that they have to give up might have to include things like like social security number or maybe mm -hmm. some medical mm -hmm. information or so on and so forth. So I, I'm, I'm generalizing the comment. Um, but <laughs> it's, it's funny when you ask consumers, how much are you willing to spend to protect your consumer information? <laughs> Nobody's willing to spend anything. Um, yeah, I knew you know, where there, that was going. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there, there's there's a bunch of sites that sprang up that would go out and you know sort of essentially be your your online life lock, if you will, and and allow you to operate within a VPN environment um, so nobody can track you, so on and so forth, for a cost. And some of these are pretty low costs, you know, maybe ten dollars a month. 
they can't get traction. So you've got this strange dichotomy, right? Where people mm -hmm. have a high value on it, but they're not really willing to spend anything to protect it. That being said, um, on the legislative side, we have CCPA now in full effect for more than a year now. We have CCPA 2.0. Um, that is, is creating class of personal information, such as uh, health information, uh, birth information, um, ethnicity, so on and so forth, that has a, a what's considered a higher level of, of, of personal information. And there's more stringency, more hooks associated with uh, how you have to guard and take care of uh, that information. And uh, if you're not careful with it, there's the, the attorney general in California will be talking with you shortly. And it's a, mm -hmm. um, the penalties uh, are crippling. What's interesting though, is that you know, w when you have the laws in the United States up till now, everything has been, it's been consent or, or, or uh, in, uh, informed consent base. In other words, you right. have to be able to provide a privacy policy that details to the consumer what you plan to do with their data, and you have to give them an opportunity to opt out. And that's very different than what happens in Europe under GDPR, which requires an opt-in. I say that because starting in January, there's two states now, which being Virginia and uh, Colorado, which have recently passed legislation. There's other states that are that where it's pending, like, for example, Ohio, uh, where they are going to require an opt-in, a physical opt-in, and not like a broad-based one where, oh, hey, I opted, opted into this sweepstakes and, and allowed you to have my ethnicity. Um, mm -hmm. as a, and, and, and because I opted into sweepstakes, you can now sell my ethnicity to anybody. That doesn't hold in these laws. It's on an individualized database level. You have to have opt-in. It can't be transferred. Um, and now it begins to move uh, the U.S. more towards a GDPR environment. Now, granted, we're, we're still talking about specific personal information. Uh, 2022 is going to be very interesting to see how database market in general uh, changes. And, and, you know, how many other states follow Virginia and Colorado uh, and possibly enact laws that become even more closely aligned with GDPR than what we have currently in the consent and opt out. Again, as you said at the very beginning, uh, it is a it is a changing uh, environment and it has changed since really, I think the last time you and I spoke. Yeah, and, definitely. Uh, it, it's going to continue to do so. All right. Well, we'll keep sharing news as we hear it. So stay tuned, listeners. Yeah. Yep. Al, thank you again for joining me on the Marketing Insider. M Monique, my pleasure. And thank you. So whether this is your first episode that you've heard or your 28th, I want to give a special thank you to those of you listening at home or on the go. If you've not already, please take a moment to follow the Marketing Insider so you never miss an episode. Rate us five stars on your podcast app of choice, ours of course being Spotify, and share us with a friend or colleague so we can keep the conversation going. And with that, we'll see you next time with a brand new episode. Bye now.